Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. This morning, ladies, when you were headed to breakfast or to line call, did any of you notice that the little path up from where we have campfire up that way was littered with pine shells, I mean little pieces of pine shell. Did anyone see that? Like maybe three or four? This morning when I was walking down that same little path, I saw that all over the ground were the, th the little green pieces like this, but from a fresh pine cone that was still green. And while I was looking at that, wondering how did they all get in the ground, someone would like me to use one of these things, wouldn't they? I can hear them. I'll be happy to talk towards it. While I was looking at the ground, watching those little green things, why, wondering why they were there, I saw another one fall. And I looked up, and it was almost like being in an airport. Have you ever been in an airport, and as you were landing, you could see plane after plane after plane in the sky coming into land? How many of you have ever seen that, like planes in a row in the sky? I could see in the, this huge pine tree one after another, coming down to land, falling through the branches, these little things. So how many of you know, what, what's going on up there in the top of the tree? It, I don't know if raccoons do that or not, but I know one animal that does. It's the squirrel. The squirrel was eating one of these things. I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. Isaiah chapter 28, we're looking at verse 8. Excuse me, let's start in verse 9. It's a cleaner verse. It says, Whom shall he teach, what's the word? Knowledge. Knowledge. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? That's the question we're discussing this morning. The question is, who will God teach? Does it seem pretty clear to you just looking at the verse that God doesn't teach everyone? That if there's a question, who does God teach, that there must be qualifications to being taught by God. And can you see in the verse, if God teaches you, what does he teach you? Now, what's in the verse? What is he trying to teach you? To understand what? That's it. God as a teacher wants us to understand what is truth, and he teaches a certain class of people. The end of verse 9, it says, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. I don't, how many of you have brothers and sisters that are under the age of five? Anyone here have brothers and sisters? Okay, there's enough. That's five. That's five? Okay, right about at that age. Then you might be, be able to remember two or three years ago when your brother was a toddler. Can you remember when your brother was a toddler? Who would tell me, what's one of the most dangerous things that happens in the life, or that, excuse me, that could happen in the life of a toddler? What are ways that toddlers get hurt? What's one? Okay, so she mentioned that they try to copy their older brothers and sisters, and sometimes they can't do the things, and they could get hurt. What's something else that happens? Yes. Okay, and let me expand on that. It's not just rat poison. Do you know babies, according to this verse, are babies dependent on their mothers for milk? They are. But do babies sometimes try to feed themselves? 
And what kind of things do they put in their mouth? It would be hard to think of something they don't put in their mouth, wouldn't it? They put in their mouth whatever fits and is light enough to go in there. Think about it for a minute. Babies, one of the greatest dangers to babies is feeding themselves. They could feed themselves a balloon or a piece of plastic or a marble that's too large. And wouldn't that be a disaster for a baby? What does a baby need? A baby needs its mother or its father to feed it. Jesus, when he asked the question, who is he going to teach knowledge, he says, who's, who, who will understand doctrine? It's not that class that are as dependent as babies are for their food. I want to expand on that a little bit because you could misunderstand it. Is the verse saying that we shouldn't be dependent on God to feed us? Isn't it very obvious that the question is, who is God going to feed? And the answer is those that are not dependent on, it must be others. If I could say that thought simply, if God is going to teach me, it's going to be because I'm not dependent on some other man to be teaching me. There's nothing wrong with being a baby, but it's very dangerous. Does that make sense to you what I just said? There's nothing wrong with being a baby Bible student, but it's very dangerous. What's dangerous about being a baby Bible student? What's dangerous is what if the person who's feeding you isn't as good as a loving mother? Are there Bible people out there, Bible teachers, that don't feed the right stuff? There are Bible teachers out there that feed the wrong stuff. And if you're a baby, do, can, do babies just know whether or not the bottle is full of milk or full of beer? Can a baby know that? I mean, they know once they taste it that it's not milk, right? But babies are oblivious to some extent of what they're taking in. They're dependent on someone else to give them the right stuff. Do you want to be dependent on someone else to give you the right stuff? I hope in one of the first things that we're learning today that you will develop a desire to not be dependent on your teachers, on your counselors, on your parents to give you the right stuff. I hope they will give you the right stuff. I expect they will. But if God is going to teach you doctrine, this verse says, it's going to be those who are weaned from the milk. That's not all the verse says. Look at the next verse. It says, for precept must be upon precept. Now, we hardly use the word precept anymore. Does anyone here know what a precept is? Yes, sir. Yeah, exactly, a law. Or, and maybe if I could soften it just a little bit, it's like a law that's not written down that if you disobey it, you get spanked. It's more like a law about just the way things work. Like if you're nice to your mother, she's happy. That would, and if you said that different, you could say you should be nice to your mother, and that would be a precept. Is there a law written somewhere that if you're not nice to your mother, you do 10 push-ups? No. Sometimes precepts are made into rules, but they're not exactly the same thing. A precept is an idea about how to live. So the next verse said, for an idea about how to live must be placed upon another idea about how to live. An idea about how to live must build upon another idea about how to live. Let's keep reading the verse. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. 
what in the world does it mean? I bet that there are some young people here, don't even raise your hands or point fingers, but I bet that there are some young people here that are thought of as brains. I don't know if you ever think of like that, or maybe the modern, maybe we have modern words that mean that that aren't as nice. But I mean, people who really, they have big vocabularies. And there might be other vocabularies like the words you use. And then there might be other people here that are kind of simple-minded. Which kind of people did God call for prophets? Was it the ones who had the really powerful brains or the ones who were kind of simple-minded? Anyone know? I couldn't hear you too well, so I'm just curious by hands. How many of you said something like those who are quite smart? Can I see the hands of those that said that? And how many of you said something like the simple-minded? Can I see the hands that said that? And how many of you said like both? Can I see the minds that said that? Okay, and no one thought it was just the wise. That's true. And why is it then that people are always following people that have their PhDs? You ever wonder? But anyway. Um, the answer truly is both. Now think about this for a minute. If God gives his message to a man who has a simple mind, and that man tries to put it into words for us, is he going to use simple words or more complex words? Simple words. He's not going to use the word impute. He might not use the word sanctification. He might not use the word precept. He might say something like, God wants to forgive us, and so he teaches us how to live so that we can live lives that are like his. Then you might have someone who has a large intellect, like Paul, the apostle, right? And he might say, God wants to impute to us his righteousness, and he wants to work in our lives so that we become more sanctified in our experience. He wants to teach us precepts about how to live Aren't those the same ideas? I'm giving you a hint about how to study the Bible. God gave the same message to several different prophets. And if you want God to teach you, you're going to have to find where God gave the same message to, or similar ideas to several different prophets and read from the several of them because they won't use the same phrases. They won't use the same words, and what will happen is the simple one will help you understand the difficult one, but the difficult one will give you information you never could have gotten from the simple one. What we're really talking about is who does God teach? If we're going to understand doctrine, Jesus is going to have to teach us. Does he want to teach us? He does. And who does he teach according to Isaiah 28? He teaches those who are weaned from human dependence. And he teaches those who compare the writings of various prophets. They take idea about how to live and build upon another one. They look line here and line there and put them together. Those are the two first conditions we're looking at about how to study the Bible. There are a lot more we want to look at this week and maybe a few more this morning. But let's turn to our passage, Isaiah chapter 58. That's 30 chapters ahead. Isaiah chapter 58.
Let me just try some logic on you for a minute. I'm about to teach you something. If you depend on me to teach you, would that make you like a, compared to a strong young man or compared to an infant? That's right. If you want to be compared to a strong young man, you can't just listen to what I say and believe it. You have to do something more than that. You have to look at what the Bible says and think, is that really what it is teaching? You have to, and there's more, but I just want to get you in the habit, this is the habit I've been in for a long time, a habit of when you're listening to people talk about the Bible, of not just going, yeah, that's true, yeah, that's true, yeah, that's true. Wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Because there's a little bit of danger in doing that. The guy might feed you a balloon. Do you understand the illustration I'm talking about? That's it. If you're going to be safe, you're going to have to get where you're doing some critical thinking about what's being said. Isaiah 58, let's look at verse 1. It says, Cry aloud, spare not. Spare. Um, you might want to use a Bible dictionary when you get to a word like that if you don't know exactly what it means, but since you don't have a Bible dictionary in your hand, I'll just have to tell you. It says, don't hold back. Maybe if you have a different version, it just says that. Don't hold back. Cry aloud, don't hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Was there anyone here that was woken up by the trumpet this morning? I thought maybe. Do you think maybe this verse is indicating that when we're talking about the Bible truths, we might have to say it in such a way as to wake people up in a spiritual way? It is so. Show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. So if you are going to be someone who's sharing what God wants you to share, what might you be showing to the people? What might you show them? That's no fun. I mean, there are a lot of fun things in Christianity. It is fun to learn about the second coming. It is fun to think about the animals in heaven. It's fun to consider some illustrations from nature. But it is not fun to tell people about their sins. Unless you're seven or eight years old, and it sounds like this, Mom, he did... But can you already know from this chapter that that's not what it's talking about? Did we memorize or start memorizing last night about the putting forth of the... Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So it must be when I'm telling the church about their sins, it's not the same thing as tattletaling. Huh? It must be. Let's look at verse 2. Yet they seek me daily. So these people who are making mistakes, they're sinning, are they having devotions in this passage? Most people don't have devotions. But Isaiah 58 is speaking about a class that does have devotions. And what does that class need? They need to know about their sins. Sometimes it doesn't do any good to tell some classes about their sins. But the class who are seeking God daily, they need to know it as much as anyone else. It says... They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. 
An ordinance is another word for a law. Seventh-day Adventist. So there are some things that separate us from Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostals and Lutherans. What's one of the big things that separates us from those churches? What's one? That's so interesting. What's your name, Guy? Vincent. Vincent. So Vincent mentioned that we worship on the seventh day. Miss Reese. Like, not the rapture. Yes. We believe it's going to be a real thing. What's another one? When you die, you turn to dirt. That's exactly it. It's not what everyone else thinks. Let, let, you know, this is kind of fun, but I want to stop for a minute and, and come to just one of them related to this verse. The first one mentioned is that we believe in keeping the seventh day Sabbath. When other people have forsaken God's law, we're the ones who say, no, we're still going to keep it. They left it, and we said, no, we're not going to leave it. We're going to keep it. Is this verse talking about people who have left the ordinance or people who are still keeping the law? Doesn't it say that in the verse? As those who have not forsaken the ordinance of their God. And then it says, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. Did any of you ever ask your mom or dad for a spanking? <laughs> have you ever asked for that? You did? When it was my birthday. Oh. You get presents after spanking? I don't know. That's none yeah. of my business. So, <laughs> you know, most people don't ask for justice. I mean, we heard last Saturday night about some people who in the beginning of camp thought about getting demerits so they could get kicked out. Thought about that. Do the people in this verse, do they ask God for the ordinances of justice? What does it say in the verse? Are they asking God for that? It's pretty clear, isn't it? In verse 2 it says, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. When is justice meted out in this earth's history? When does God make things right? Right now, if you do something wrong, does God punish you immediately? When do people get punished for what they do? You know, Jesus talked about that. He said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according as his work shall be. So he comes back, and that's the ordinance of justice. Are there a class of people in this world who are asking for Jesus to come back soon? Who would those be? Adventist? Do you see that Isaiah 58 is specifically about Seventh-day Adventist? Who is it about? It's the class of people that like to get to know God, that act like they haven't forsaken His commandments, and they ask for Him to come back soon. Who is that? That's Seventh-day Adventist. Aren't you glad you're memorizing something in this chapter? This chapter was made for us. It's a chapter for us as a church. Turn with me in your Bibles to John. John chapter 7. And we're looking at verse 17.
John 7 and verse 17. The verse says, If any man will do his will, that is, God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Here from Isaiah, what was it? It's John 7, 17. What was it that God wanted to teach us in Isaiah? He wanted to teach us doctrine. And what's the condition of knowing about the doctrine in John chapter 7? It's being willing to do it. Let me see if I can illustrate that where you can see it. Suppose there's a man who is trying to find out, is it okay to drink wine? And he opens up his Bible to study this. What will he find if he is going to drink wine regardless of what he finds? That was such a weird sounding question, I think I should start over. You know, if that man is not willing to do what God wants, he won't understand the Bible. And he'll think when he gets done that the Bible teaches that it's okay to use wine. What if a young lady opens the Bible to find out whether or not it's okay to wear, wear earrings? What if she's not willing to do what it says? Will she understand the Bible? What does the verse say? What's the condition of understanding the Bible? It's being willing to do it. So she'll open up her Bible. Can she use the concordance just like you? You can use the concordance even if you're not willing to do what it says. You can use the concordance. You can turn your pages. You can look up your verses. But when you get all done, will you understand? Do you understand how significant this verse is for Bible understanding? If you're going to understand the Bible, you're going to have to be willing to do what it says or you just won't get it. This verse proves to me, see if it does this for you. This verse proves to me that people who are very, very, very smart and have high IQs often can't even understand the Bible. Do you see that in the verse? Because if you have a very high IQ and you're not willing to do what the Bible says, are you going to understand it? No way. Turn from your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. I want to talk about that idea a bit more, but I'll wait till you get to Daniel 12. Because something happened in the Middle Ages over and over again that is really quite encouraging and quite incredible. I'll try to illustrate it with a, a story that I'm just making the story up to illustrate it. If you could imagine that a young lady who loves her Bible is taken captive by the Inquisition. People who read Young Disciple Magazine probably know what the Inquisition is, even though they don't know a lot of other things, right? Because you read that, those stories about the Reformation. Imagine this young lady is caught by the Inquisition, and she's brought before, say, Dr. Eck, or one of these other men with just a giant intellect, a Roman a, a papal leader. And does that guy really know his arguments? You know, he knows 
Greek and Hebrew and he can turn and he knows, he knows arguments and how to twist things. And she's put there in front of him and you know, she barely knows how to read. And she just became a Christian three weeks ago. And she really does love Jesus, but she doesn't really know much at all. Have any of you ever been afraid of something like this happening to you? And now she's put on the spot and begins to be drilled about her faith. Does she have enough brains to answer his objections? She can't even understand his objections. But she can understand the Bible because it's a gift that God gives to those who are willing to do what God said. And even with all of those deceitful arguments floating around her head, yet she can stand firm on the faith because she's willing to do and God gives her understanding. You're in Daniel 12. Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 is talking about what happens after 1798 when the little book of Daniel is opened. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked will do, what does it say? Wickedly. And none of the wicked will, what does it say? What an interesting sentence. Did you see it? How many of the wicked understand? None, 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 zero, zero, zero. That's how many? If you have not given your life to Jesus and you open up the book of Daniel and read it, you might understand the words. The phrases might all be a word you understand. You might think you get what you're reading, but the Bible says, as far as the big picture, you just don't get it. The wicked don't understand. And then look at the next part of the verse. It says, but the wise, what does it say? Now, I, I'm going to try to do some logic for you. After this, I'm going to give you some observations and we're going to do a little practice. The wise understand and the wicked don't understand. Therefore, no one that is wicked can really be said to be... Do you follow that logic? If the wise understand, none of the wicked understand. Yeah, that's simple. The wise understand, and God gives understanding to those who are weaned from human dependence. If the wise understand, and God gives understanding to those who don't depend on other men, then it must be that the spiritually wise are those that don't depend on other men. Did that make any sense to you what I just said? Who are the spiritually wise? They must be those who aren't depending on others for their spiritual life. Isaiah said that God is teaching those who are comparing what the various prophets say and putting it together. And Daniel said, the wise understand. So it must be that the wise are the ones that are comparing what the various prophets say. And Jesus said in the book of John that those understand who are willing to do what God said. Therefore, you can try this. So what do we know about the wise? And they must be willing to, to do what God says. Do you all follow the logic of that? I'm going to say everything we've said this morning and try to say it in about 40 seconds. I want God to teach me in my Bible study. 
we're talking about deep Bible study. But if I get really deep without God teaching me, I'm just going to be a wicked man that doesn't understand. If God is going to teach me, there are some basic qualifications. Is my intellect one of the qualifications? Nope. So you can raise your hands. What's one of the three qualifications? Who would be willing to say it out loud? What's one? That's it. The third qualification, being willing to do. What's one of the other two? Go ahead. That's it, being weaned from the milk, which means not being dependent on other people to teach me. Yes? Being willing to receive correction and maybe to compare the writings of the various prophets to each other and see how they fit together. Those are the three conditions that we have. And if we meet them, who teaches us? And if God teaches you, you end up knowing what's true. Isn't that the most important thing I could teach you about deep Bible study? How to have God teach you? Turn back to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. And we're going to begin looking at verse 6 for our next hint about how to understand the Bible. Isaiah 58 and verse 6. Have any of you ever been sent by your parents or teachers looking for, like, object lessons in nature? Have you ever been sent out doing that? When you go looking for object lessons, you're looking for just what you can see in nature. This morning, I saw so many things. I like to observe nature whenever I'm, I'm going around in that little outhouse there, in the white bucket of the lime in the bucket. An ant fell in there, and another little insect, I don't know what kind of insect it is, but it's about that long, and it's kind of shaped like a backwards triangle where the head is the wider end and the back is smaller, and it has lots and lots of little tiny legs, and it looks really kind of soft, but I didn't touch it. And you know, it fell in the lime also. Do you think they can get out of that lime bucket? I don't think so. So if you use it, you'll see what I'm talking about. They'll be there. <laughs> I, maybe I should just tell you a lesson from that before I go on, because otherwise you wonder why I told you that. <laughs> that black ant and that little wiggly, wiggly thing were not meant to be in lime. God made them to be in the dirt. And when they're in lime, it's no good for them at all. What will happen if I just leave them and you leave them and we all leave them in that lime? That's it. Of lime ingestion or something like that. Did God make us to be in a certain environment? He designed us to be in a beautiful environment. He designed the home and the family and nature and the garden. And really, God designed an entire environment that was just right for us. And what happens if we end up living in a city? You know, it's a lot like the ant in the lime bucket. 
You can walk around in the city, but you weren't made to be there. And I'm just going to leave that. But my point is that you go looking in nature for observation to see what you can see. This morning I saw lots of yellow jackets. I observed something so interesting. Mr. I just forgot his name. So I won't tell you who it was. One of our men in this camp, he decided to just let the yellow jackets eat the food on his plate. They weren't bothering him and he wasn't going to bother them. And you know, before long, there were lots of yellow jackets around. Do yellow jackets go and tell when they find something good? Was that a good idea for them to do? It's good for them. Isn't that a very helpful idea for us? So in the morning, you end up finding something, and what did God make you to do? That's it. Spread the news. So I'm talking about observations. You go looking for the things that God is teaching in nature. It's the same thing you got to do in the Bible. You have to have like your thinking caps on and be observing. What does the verse say? Let's just look at verse 6 for a minute and see what it says. Is not this the fast that I have? What does it say? I observe in that first part of the verse that there's more than one kind of fast. Isn't that clear from that first little phrase? And is there one kind of verse that God chooses over another? Did I say one kind of verse? One kind of fast that God chooses over another? There is. I don't know what type yet, but I can see in the verse that there's more than one type of fast, and God chooses a certain type of fast. And then it says, to loose the bands of wickedness. When I read that phrase, I think it through. What, what does it teach me? Does wickedness have bands on it? Does wickedness hold me down? Isn't it clear in the verse that wickedness is like, is like a bondage? It holds me down. Is it clear in that passage that God's fast releases us from those bonds? All I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to verbalize for you something I do in my own head. I try to go really slowly through a verse and just think, what does it say. And I write down these little ideas as their own little sentences. So I might write down a little, on a paper I might write down, God has a fast he chooses. There is more than one type of fast. Wickedness has bondage. God's fast releases the bondage. And I'd make observations like that from the verse. Look at the rest of verse 6. Does anyone see an observa- a, a sentence you could get from the rest of verse 6? Someone who hasn't raised their hand yet. A real simple little idea. Are you raising your hand? Yeah, go ahead. That's it. The bands of wickedness shouldn't just stay there, huh? That's an excellent one. What else can you see in the verse? Yes. Okay, so it's not just one band. You want to, it's bands. How about an S on it? They all should come loose. Yes. That's so interesting. Can I talk about that verse just for a minute and come back to this one? It's helpful to illustrate something about the way language works. The band in Isaiah 58 
is the kind of band like handcuff band that holds you down. Is that the only kind of band that we have in the world? We have a band that has like, um, there's that kind of band too, isn't there? And is there another type of band besides that? You might have bands of soldiers and bands of campers and and which kind of bands would that verse be talking about in Psalm 119? Like a group, right? This is one thing you have to be careful of when you use the concordance. Does that make sense to you what I just said? Sometimes a word is used several different ways. Let me help you more with verse 6, because I'm not sure if you're following exactly what I'm saying. So if I look at the next little phrase, it says to undo the heavy burdens. Can you learn anything just from that phrase? What does it tell you about, about the burdens that God wants to set us free from? They're heavy. Have you ever felt weighed down? What might you do that might help you get free from heavy burdens? Maybe use God's fast. God's fast is what he's chosen to let go of these heavy burdens. Just a minute. I'm going to look at my little cheat time piece. We have time to do it. What I'd like you to do when I say go is to split into your groups with your counselors and in verse 7 to just look for very simple little observations, just little sentences you can say from what just what's in verse 7. Just what you know. Okay, go. I'll call you back in maybe five, six minutes. It wouldn't take long to make some observations. Were we looking for simple observations or for really complex, deep things? I hope that's what we were looking for. I hope. Who that hasn't raised their hand yet or said something found some simple observation they would just be happy to mention? In the back, yes. So Miss Wood commenting on that last part of the verse, notice that it says, don't hide yourself from yourself. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Some other observation, yes. So here comes something really interesting already about our observations. Our observations are an important step, but they're not the same as Scripture. Do you notice you can read that last phrase two very different ways? It could say, don't hide yourself from your own skin. In other words, give your shirt to the guy who doesn't have one, and then you don't have a shirt. Or it could say, don't pretend that your relatives don't have need. Take care of them. Don't distance yourself from them meaning your flesh and blood. Will observations help you know which way to understand that phrase? 
I want to suggest to you that observations are limited. When you come to phrases that could be understood two different ways, you'll have to do some comparing of Scripture with Scripture and go a step further to understand those. But were there any simple observations that are just pretty simple in the passage? Yes. That's so interesting, just the word thy. So if I go to a food kitchen and volunteer to pass out food, is that a good thing? But is that doing what it says in Isaiah 58? It's a good thing, but what am I passing out in Isaiah 58? My bread. It is a little different, isn't it? My bread. And you talk about in a spiritual sense, the conclusion we could get, sharing the things that we've learned. Any other simple observations? Yes. So was that profound or what? Did you understand what he's saying? The Pruitts have in our bank account, I shouldn't tell you much money in our bank account, it's none of your business. <laughs> but let's say we have this much. How much would it take to relieve the poor people in Africa? If we have this much, it would take something that would reach far beyond the moon. We can't do it. Does Isaiah 58 put a certain guideline to help you know where your charity should go? And what guideline does it put on? When you see. That is, when, it, when it's in your way. Any other simple observations? Yes? It's a fact from selfishness. Okay, so kind of a big picture. Here's giving your food, sharing your clothes, helping the naked, um, and you put those thoughts together and observe that it's selflessness. But that's what God wants, is to fast from selfish holding on. Beautiful. One more, perhaps. We'll talk about one more thing and review and close for our first day. Yes? Okay, so who do you feed in this passage? Have you ever tried to feed a baby that wasn't hungry? How does it go? It's just a mess, isn't it? And if we're talking about people who are trying to become Christians, are they more like babies in a spiritual sense or more like adults? They're more like babies, aren't they? And so what happened if you tried to feed them when they weren't hungry? Who does the passage say you ought to feed? Isn't that a profound, simple idea? Let me say this whole thought as a picture, and then we'll review and close. A lot of what God wants to teach us in the scripture is not some big complex idea. There are some of those ideas that are really good for mental bodybuilding. There are some, but a lot of what we need is very short, sweet, simple ideas that we just haven't started practicing yet. Does that make sense to you why one of the conditions is being willing to do it? You know, no one will ever be able to understand what the verse says about bringing people into your own home if they're not willing to do it. 
if they're not willing to do it, they'll just conclude it can't quite mean that. Why can't they understand it? Because if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine. What's another condition to being taught of God? Being weaned from human dependence. And what's the third condition of being taught of God? Comparing, right? Find what the different prophets say. It, it's kind of fun when you find a prophet who's simple-minded because he says it in a way that we can understand. And then it becomes fun to find the prophet who used a complex way of communicating because now suddenly you can understand it. And there's nothing like understanding something you can understand before to just help you feel like you learned something. Our final thought this morning, I think I might be overtime already. I was thinking it goes to the end, but I bet it just goes to 50. We're way over time. That was our final thought this morning. <laughs> Sometime today you might get a handout. If not, you'll get it tomorrow morning, and we'll have a handout at that point. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer, and we'll dismiss. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you will take the simple truths of your Holy Bible, that you'll use them to make a difference in our experience. And I ask for that gift in the name of Jesus. Amen.